the goal of this podcast is to help people become prodigious accumulators of wealth. They just don't get the financial education. Another one of those theories that I have, I like to refer to as the uh, self-imposed peer pressure theory Mm -hmm. or syndrome. What should they do? What should people do to try to get on track? You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. And now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. And here we go. Episode number one, numero uno, hopefully the first of many to come on the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast. I'm Corey Janoff. I'm joined by the one and only Rochelle Vanderzanden. Hello, everyone. And our goal with this podcast here is to try and add value to our existing client base as well as anyone else in the medical community that happens to stumble across us. Uh, if we can figure out how to work this thing called the internet and get this podcast out of here. And we were joking uh, before we started, this is Rochelle and I's first um, endeavor at podcasting. So if it's a complete disaster, we can just delete the recording and not publish it and no one will ever know. But I'm confident this is going to turn out to be a success and will be epic and we'll have uh, many more of these to follow. And Today, we wanted to start things off by, by talking about uh, physicians and finances and, and why doctors uh, often make poor financial decisions. And not everyone, but as a whole, physicians are, are, not, are notoriously bad with money. Um, I think this is uh, outlined well in the book The Millionaire Next Door by Thomas Stanley and William Danko. Many of you have probably heard of that book or even read it. Uh, great book, originally published in the mid-1990s based on um, research that was done during the 70s and 80s and early 90s, and there's been various iterations that have been updated and republished since. But one thing that they found in their research um, was that physicians as a whole tend to underaccumulate wealth compared to what they would expect them to accumulate based on their income and other variables. So in their in the book, they, they categorize everyone into two camps. There's prodigious accumulators of wealth, PAWs, and under-accumulators of wealth, UAWs. The prodigious accumulators of wealth tend to accumulate more wealth and have a greater net worth than you would expect given the variables that, um, that they that are attributed to them, like income, education level, etc. The under-accumulators of wealth are the opposite. Uh, they, they underachieve compared to what you would expect based on the factors that they possess. And physicians tend to fall grossly into the under-accumulators camp. Now, most physicians, just given their incomes, will accumulate a significant amount of wealth over time. It's difficult not to become a millionaire one day when, you're, uh, when your income is you know, 200000 or above. You know, if you just make nominal contributions to your retirement plan at work and receive an employer match, on that, it's going to grow to a sizable sum over the course of your career. But uh, we want the goal of this podcast is to help people become prodigious accumulators of wealth and not fall into the under accumulator camp. So, we're going to address some of the reasons today why we feel physicians often struggle with finances and make poor financial decisions, and hopefully, offer some suggestions for ways that you can avoid falling into that trap. So, with that, Rochelle. 
in your experience working with doctors, what do you think are, or, and what have you seen are some of the reasons why doctors often struggle to, to make smart decisions with their money? Yeah, I think it's really hard to point at any one reason. There's obviously different reasons for every person. But I think one overarching sort of feature with medical professionals is that they just don't get the financial education that you would expect people to have when they're making a very good chunk of money. When you see people who have a large income, you automatically assume that they know certain things about how to handle that income, and most of the time they don't. So I think that's one of the big reasons that we do the meetings that we do with our clients and we do this podcast and you write your blog like there's just so much that we can teach people totally agree i think it's kind of similar to what you see stories or headlines about professional athletes going broke all the time you, they don't have the the education or the background uh in terms of managing finances and then they're handed large sums of money and don't know what to do with it and mm -hmm. often end up blowing through it all right yeah. and i think with medical professionals a lot of times you see people going directly from undergrad to med school to training and they have a very small income and maybe some of them even have experiences where they're used to a certain lifestyle because their parents provided them with a certain lifestyle but now they're living on student loans or they're living on a very small training salary but they're still acting as if they're making a larger pool of money and they have a larger pool of money to spend so yeah, definitely. That's one of the biggest traps that they fall into um, is we're, we're living the, the lifestyle on the full income and not uh, being diligent with our financial decisions. And, um, and yeah, it, it happens all the time. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think there there's, and when you talk about going from training into practice, going from a, a small income and into a larger income, I think there, there's uh, a couple things that I think affect physicians, a couple theories I have. One, uh, is called the delayed gratification mm -hmm. syndrome. Absolutely. You know, physicians and doctors, dentists, um, you know, you, you spend all these years in training. A lot of your peers finished up high school and undergrad, started making money and, and, and enjoying their lives. And, you know, they bought houses before you, they got nice cars before you, they're getting promotions and pay raises, and, and they often uh, are ahead of you financially by the time you get into your career as an attending physician. And you've spent all these years quote-unquote suffering you know, mm -hmm. um, and, and uh, putting off all the the luxuries that, that doctors are expected to be able to realize and then once you get into practice it's like you just gotta buy stuff to satisfy mm -hmm. that that need you know you spend all these years struggling you know we just need to satiate that need for stuff so whether yeah. it's vacations you know nice bottles of wine new car house whatever um, and sometimes physicians overextend themselves and go too far. You know, it's fine to reward yourself once you under practice with a, a nice vacation to Hawaii, but then we have to, you know, make sure that with that new attending income, we're taking our money and being judicious with it and making smart financial decisions. And yes, we can afford to increase our lifestyle a bit, but we still have to save for retirement, pay down debts. The student loans are often a big issue. I think that's one of the biggest things is the student loans. I mean, there's just such a huge portion of a lot of physicians' cash flow whether they're in training or in attending. And, and there's just a huge portion of that cash flow that goes towards those student loans. So someone might look at their salary and say, well, I should be able to afford this house on this salary because I make a good income. But at the same time, they don't realize they basically have a mortgage worth of student loans, literally yeah. a mortgage worth of student loans. Like you have to consider that too. Yeah. 
Yeah. If you're paying three thousand a month on your student loans, that that isn't a mortgage on mm-hmm. a five hundred thousand dollar house in most uh, you know, scenarios. So it's uh, yes, a hundred percent. Although one thing I will say is. You know, going back to that Millionaire Next Door book, when they did their studies and found that doctors were under accumulators of wealth, this was back in the 80s when the student loan burden was a far cry from what it is today. I mean, I think adjusted for inflation, doctors today are coming out with triple the amount of student loan debt that they did back then. So, you know, while they do seem like a, a big burden, they are a big burden, um, I don't think it explains everything. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we'd still can manage the student loan debt and still you know accomplish our other financial goals we just have to be disciplined with our money and understand that if you're you know a hospitalist or a pediatrician and you have a a quarter million dollar student loan balance you're not going to be able to live the same lifestyle as say uh, a cardiologist or um, an orthopedic surgeon who doesn't have that same student loan burden or maybe they do have the same student loan burden but on double the income uh, or triple the income in some cases, they're able to be a little bit more flexible. Yeah, there's just so many things that play into this. Obviously, I think everyone has to sort of assess their own situation and see what it is that's driving them, what it is that's affecting them and, and the decisions that they're making too. Another one of those theories that I have, I like to refer to as the uh, self-imposed peer pressure theory mm-hmm. or syndrome. It kind of falls into that delayed gratification camp where you just want to buy stuff because you see all your peers you know, realizing uh, the fun that life has to offer. Um, and, But I feel like peer pressure, that's something that high school kids do to get their friends <laughs> to do something stupid. You know, it, I don't think adults really exercise peer pressure on each other to the same degree. So that's why I say it's self-imposed. A lot of doctors, it's no secret, doctors are, are some of the smartest people on our planet. You're often in the top of your class in high school and college, and we're often surrounded by other smart individuals. You know, a lot of your friends that you went to college with, uh, you know, maybe they're engineers, uh, computer scientists, software engineers, they're working mm-hmm. at Google, making a quarter million, programming. Um, you know, maybe some of them probably started their own companies, maybe even sold their first company for several million dollars and are on to their next company. Uh, maybe they're you know, a lawyer, a partner at their law firm at this point. So you start to see friends that you hung out with early on. They're on their second home. They're driving a Mercedes. They're, they're living the life. And, and you, know, you think you deserve that too and, and want to, to realize those experiences um, that they're able to achieve uh, right away. But it also, it's not just from that transition from residency into practice. It's even for folks that have been in practice a while. There's this perception that doctors are expected to live a certain lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I I know one of our partners, Mike, he was telling uh, me a story once of one of his clients. She was, I think she was transitioning into practice, but she had a a small country's GDP worth of student loans, a a boatload of credit card debt, and um, she needed a new car. And your car was breaking down, and, and Mike's like, "All right, well, you know, let's get you this new car, uh, but let's be smart about it. You know, be economical, get the you know most reasonably priced car you can find, so that we can direct your extra funds towards your credit cards, and then eventually your student loans." And then a few months later, they had a meeting, and she bought a new car, and and she had like a sixty-five thousand dollar car loan, paying over a thousand dollars a month on it. I think she got a new Audi or something, and, and Mike was like, "Hey, you know, I see you got your new car. I thought we talked about you know buying something a little more reasonably priced." And she's like, "Well, a doctor deserves to drive a nice car. 
it's like, well, well, how do you, like, how do you, how do you respond to that? Yeah. If that's the attitude. Um, and yeah. those big fixed expenses are such a huge thing. Like if, if you have a bill that you have to pay every month, that's a thousand dollars on everything else you have to pay at that, that for uh, every month, like that's when retirement savings and things like that take a back seat because it's flexible. Mm-hmm. You feel like, oh, I can do that later. But putting it off is obviously not helpful. Yes. If you base your expenses on your income and fill up your, your spending first mm-hmm. before you devote time and energy to your financial goals, you're going to run into these issues. So if it's, oh, I now have... Um, you know, with my new income or my attending income, I'm, I'm bringing home $15,000 a month after taxes. All right. I can spend $4,000 on the house. I can get a $1,200 car payment. You know, we can go on these vacations and, you know, maybe we'll get a a rental home or, um, get a boat or, or, you know, multiple cars like, you know, spouse needs a car too. Uh, Mm -hmm. kids are going to private school now. And before you know it, that 15,000 is all eaten up and you haven't, saved a penny for your future. Mm-hmm. So. I think a lot of times I've seen people have the assumption that if they are fully funding their retirement through work, that that's enough. And so it's the money that they don't even see hit their checking account. Like they can, they can do that. They can make that happen. Mm-hmm. But for a lot of physicians, that's just not enough to actually get them to a mm-hmm. retirement that's going to match the lifestyle that they're living right now. And I think that's a huge thing because the rest of it is something you have to budget before it gets taken out of your paycheck or after it gets taken out of your paycheck. Bingo. Yeah. The the retirement through work just isn't enough. And we'll probably dive into retirement savings and I'm sure we will in future mm-hmm. episodes. But one uh, general recommendation that we'll give people um, is try and save at least 20% of your income for retirement, which is a little bit more than a lot of the... Uh, tips you see online that'll suggest saving 10 or 15%, you know, the 10 or 15% of your income works great if you start saving that at, in your early to mid twenties and you're working until your mid to late sixties. But most physicians aren't starting their careers uh, until their early to mid thirties and maybe they don't want to work until their late sixties. So in order to you know, make up for a shorter work span over the course of your career, we need to save more. And if we're putting 20% of our income away, you know, let's say you're making $300,000 in a year and you're contributing the maximum to your retirement plan at work, that's 19,000 a year currently, which isn't 20% of your income. 20% of 300,000 is 60,000 a year. So you're about a third of the way there with your mm-hmm. retirement savings at work. It's a big gap. But we need to save another 40,000 somewhere else outside of work. And which sounds, it, it's a lot of money, absolutely. But let's you know, let's look at this for a second. If we're making three hundred thousand in a year, using round numbers, let's say a hundred thousand of it's going to taxes, and then let's say you are saving twenty percent of your income for retirement, that's sixty thousand. That still leaves you with a hundred forty thousand dollars a year of spending money, roughly twelve thousand dollars a month. If we're using round numbers, you know, twelve thousand dollars a month. It's not an endless sum by any means. Mm-hmm. You know, if we have a three thousand dollars student loan payment and a three thousand dollar mortgage, that's half of it, and we haven't even counted food or kids' expenses, childcare, etc. But no one's throwing you a pity party if you can't survive on a twelve thousand dollars budget each month. <laughs> so, um, if you can put your 
financial goals as priority number one, and this kind of gets into how do we avoid falling into that trap, but mm-hmm. the concept of pay yourself first, rather than paying someone else in the terms of you know a car payment or mortgage interest or you know private school tuition, pay yourself first. What are you trying to accomplish? What are your financial goals? Let's put money towards those things and then once those things are on track to to being taken care of in the time frame we want to, now we can go spend on whatever else we want. Mm-hmm. So let's say you have $12,000 a month that you're taking home and you haven't met your 20% savings goal yet. Let's say you still need to do 10% additional to savings. So maybe you set something up automatically. So it automatically comes out of your checking account and goes into a savings account of some kind, like whether it's an IRA or a non-retirement account, just something else to set you up for your long-term financial well-being. I think that's a, a great way to sort of avoid that. And then you build the budget around the rest of it. Yes, automation. I'm a big fan of that. Um, mm-hmm. the, the less you have to think about doing things towards your financial mm-hmm. plan, then the more likely it is to succeed. If you have to every month consciously make a decision to take money out of your account and invest it in another account, it's probably not going to happen every month. You're busy we, you know, between work and family, it, it's, we get it. You know, there's not enough hours in the day to do everything we want to do. So the more we can automate our financial strategies, the more likely, likely we are to realize success and achieve those goals. So automate your savings plan, automate your investing plan. There's a reason that retirement plans at work allow you to just have money pulled automatically from your paycheck and deposited makes it super easy. You don't even think mm-hmm. about it. It's just, it's automated. There's a reason the government takes taxes out of your paycheck before <laughs> you even get your paycheck if you're an employed physician. Um, you know, otherwise they wouldn't get their money. So mm-hmm. automation is big. If we can automate uh, our savings, that'll do wonders towards achieving our long-term goals. What are some other things do you think people can do to sort of meet those goals? Um, I think the... Trying to avoid that keeping up with the Joneses mm-hmm. uh, p- disease that we all are <laughs> affected by, you know, it doesn't you know whether you're a physician or not. Um, everyone you know sees other people in what are perceived to be similar economic uh, statures as them doing things that. Uh, that you would like to do. You know, if I, I live in a neighborhood, I got a lot of neighbors around me. If I see one of them driving a Tesla, it's like, huh, he's driving a Tesla. I kind of want a Tesla. Mm-hmm. Or the, the next door neighbors get a new kitchen and, you know, we're over at their house for, for dinner one day and, wow, what a nice new kitchen. Maybe we want to get a new kitchen too. You know, it's really easy to get sucked into that. They did it, so I should be able to do it trap. And you, you have to recognize that that you're you they're them you know you got to ignore what they're doing I mean you can admire it commend it whatever but let's not let it affect our lifestyle if you can afford to buy the new kitchen and afford to buy the Tesla great you know if it's not affecting your other financial goals but um, if if it is going to affect your other financial goals and other things are going to have to take a back seat let's make sure that we're okay with with making those priorities uh, in, the, in those orders. You know, yeah. if, if driving the nice car is priority number one, that's fine. But if it means we're working an extra five years until we can retire, if we're okay with that, then great. But if we're not okay with that, 
Some people want to work longer. Yeah. You know, there's nothing, you know, we're not here to tell you how you should go live your life. We're just trying to help you figure out the ways to realize your financial goals. And yeah, most people want to retire one day. Um, <laughs> some people want to help pay for their kids to go to college. Some people want to pay off their mortgage and get rid of their student loans. I think most, probably yep. eventually. Yeah. So. And I do like the whole, like, if it ain't broke, don't replace it thing. Mm-hmm. That's probably one of my favorites. And I know that that doesn't apply to everyone. Like, not everyone can drive a car into the ground. Like, yeah. some people just <laughs> are not ever going to make that choice. But I think, like, if you can do that in some aspects of your life, like, there are things that you just don't need to buy because the things that you already have are good enough. And they serve their purpose. And, you know, there are some things that no one else even sees. So why are you replacing it? Why are you mm-hmm. replacing your vacuum if it's still good? No mm-hmm. one else cares about your vacuum. <laughs> but yeah. That's just a, a little thing. But I think that those kinds of things can add up. But yeah, they add up. Like if yeah. you're, if, if the mentality is I'm going to make this vacuum work, mm-hmm. you know, until it literally, you know, breaks down on me and doesn't work anymore, then, <laughs> you know, that you're probably going to have that mentality with other things. You'll probably apply it's that true. to your Very car, true. your bicycle, your uh, computer, your, you know, phone you know the, the, you add up all those little things and they they turn into big things your house you know some people buy houses every you know five to ten years and yeah. move um, whereas if you stay in your house for 20 or 30 years it's financially speaking you know unless your house is just a giant money pit and constantly needing repairs but mm-hmm. financially speaking the transaction costs of real estate are a huge burden. You know, right. the, the, between the six percent commission you pay to a real estate agent, you got to pay the closing costs, title fees, transfer taxes. Not to mention, every time you sell a house, you got to do some cleanup. Mm-hmm. Maybe put a, some new carpet in, put a fresh coat of paint on to get it in selling condition. Put your junk in storage. Um, so, you know, moving's expensive. Replacing things is expensive. It takes time, energy, and dollars. Um, which we could devote that time, energy, and money towards other things that ultimately will help us realize our financial goals. Yeah, I think the other thing is that when you do start to spend more money on whatever it is that you choose to spend your money on, it's very hard to go backwards from Mm -hmm. that. So when you start to see that lifestyle creep, don't ever expect yourself to cut back in the future and start saving more in the future because then you're not going to want to spend as much money. That's just not going to happen. People don't spend less money over time. Yeah. Once you get used to flying first class to go on your vacation, You're never going back. (laughs) You're not going back to coach. Sit in the back row and right by the bathroom. You can't recline your seat. Yeah. I mean, the the nice restaurants, I mean, you used to be happy going to Panda Express and now you, you got to get the white tablecloth and you know, the, the bottle of wine with dinner mm-hmm. um, that they charge you three times as much for at the restaurant. I feel like you're speaking from experience here, Corey. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, we see it all the time, that lifestyle creep. You don't really think it happens. Kind of going back to the beginning, you, you want to reward yourself, that delayed gratification. All mm-hmm. right, let's take the trip to Hawaii. Okay, maybe we will fly first class. All right, let's go out to the nice dinner and get the bottle of wine. Now you get a taste for those things and, and you want more of it, and then it's hard to go back. You know, it's, it's one thing if, you just, if it's a, truly a treat and it's every once in a while mm-hmm. we go out to a nice dinner and buy the bottle of wine and, and spend several hundred dollars on a meal. Um, but if that becomes the norm yes. before we're, you know, devoting enough resources to our other financial goals, that's where we're going to fall into those traps. Now, if you're 
fully funding your other goals. You're, you're on track to have your debts eliminated in the time frame you want them eliminated. You're on track to have enough money saved up for retirement. By the time you want to retire, you're, you're putting enough money away for college for the kids, whatever your college savings goals are, whether it's no college, you know, half of undergraduate, all of undergraduate, in-state, out-of-state, private school, med school, whatever. You know, as long as we're putting enough money towards our financial goals, then go nuts. You know, buy the new vacuum, buy the new car, mm-hmm. buy the bottle of wine <laughs> at dinner. You know, we don't, you, know you deserve it. Um, but if we're not on track to reaching those goals, that's where we need to really be careful about that lifestyle creep and continue to, you know, if we're transitioning from training into practice, continue to live like you're still in med school or in residency for a while until you get on track. Don't get used to spending at that new income level. If Absolutely. you're already in practice, um, it's going to be more of a challenge. Mm-hmm. I guess that was going to be my next question is like, what, what should they do? What should people do to try to get on track? If they're not on track right. and they're, they, it's trying to break the bad habits. I think that's, yeah. Um, it's a challenge. It's kind of mm-hmm. like, you know, how do you incrementally? Yeah. If you're not in good physical shape, how do you get in shape? You got to make a <laughs> conscious effort and make some sacrifices mm-hmm. and, you know, whether it's going to the gym and hiring a personal trainer or just going for a run every day and eating more salads and less steak. <laughs> like you've got to make those sacrifices and figure out what can I cut out of my life and replace it with something more beneficial to reach my goals. And it doesn't have to be a complete 180 overnight. It can be incremental. Mm-hmm. Like the I think save more tomorrow concept is a great one. Let's, you know, save X dollars a month into an investment account and then Next year, we're going to up it by $100 a month. And the next year, we'll up it by $200 a month. Just do those incremental changes. Because, I mean, as people start to get maybe increases in their salary, maybe you just try to maintain that same salary Mm -hmm. level or what you're you're budgeting monthly and increase more to your retirement savings or whatever the other goals are. Every time you get a pay raise, just bump up your your contributions Mm -hmm. or your debt payments, whatever, again, to your financial goals, like you said. Mm -hmm. Just put that money towards those financial goals rather than absorbing it into your lifestyle. Yeah. Um, that's probably the the easiest way is just take those incremental pay raises and apply it to other things. As you pay off a debt, um, you know, once the car loan gets paid off, keep driving that car. Uh-huh. Don't buy a new <laughs> one and take your whatever, 300, 400, 500, 700, a thousand dollars a month that was going towards the car payment and apply that to another financial goal that you have mm-hmm. um, and gradually snowball your way to success. But it's not gonna be easy we're not going to sit here and tell you it's easy. Yeah. Um, it's all, it's, it, I, I think the exercise uh, analogy is a good one. You know, it's, it's not fun. It's not, it's <laughs> not the choice we would all make. We'd rather sit on the couch and eat ice cream and watch Netflix than go for a run <laughs> and eat kale salads and green smoothies. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, it all depends on what your goals are. And if you want to achieve those goals, you're going to have to make some sacrifices in order to achieve them. Yeah. So I guess the point is, it's probably a lot easier to start from the beginning too. Like if you have some back work to do, let's do it. But if you can start from the beginning, it's a whole lot easier. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier to establish good habits early on than mm-hmm. it is to break bad habits later on. Absolutely. doesn't mean they can't be broken and you can't change bad habits into good ones, but... Um, for any of you listening out there, if you're still in school or in residency, start developing those good habits now 
if you're already in practice, hopefully you've you've developed some good habits and continue to build on those. If you have some bad habits, we can work on gradually uh, eliminating those over time. Mm-hmm. Anything else you can think of? That's... I don't think so. I feel like this is a good point to wrap it up, but thank you everyone for listening. Yeah, thank you. Looking forward to the next episode and hope you enjoy. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on LinkedIn as well. Check out all the podcast episodes on thefinitygroup.com slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to check out our blog, thefinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Affinity Group, LLC.